0: All right, you're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rapoport. On this week's episode, food director Carla Music chats with senior web editor Emil Stonic about beans. You know, like dried beans and fresh beans and pinto and black beans and Tuscan beans. And you know what's really cool about this week's episode? This is a suggestion from one of our listeners, Ramsey Carroll, who wrote in and said, Hey, can you guys do an episode on beans? And we said, Yeah, we can. And I would love to hear more suggestions from you guys, uh, what you like about our cast, what you want to hear more of, maybe special guests you want on. You can write us at Bon Appetit Foodcast at gmail.com. Uh, but seriously, keep them coming. I love reading your emails. All right. So, Carla and Emil, they talk beans, how to cook them, how to source them, all that good stuff. And then Carla chats with one of our listeners, gets Leslie Ann Beatles on the phone who lives just outside Austin, Texas. Her question, how can she get her kids, parentheses, and husband to eat more greens and vegetables? I often ask myself that question about my persnickety nine year old son. So let's hear what Carla has to say about that. But first, here's her and Emil talking beans.
1: So, I just want to break the ice a little bit.
2: Okay, break it crispy.
1: If this podcast were a frozen dinner, it would be bean cuisine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's really embarrassing how much I'm laughing right now. Bean there, done that. Bean there, done that. I want to talk about fresh
1: beans. I feel like you want to talk about dry beans. That's true. And then I think together we can talk about fresh shelling beans. Oh,
2: yeah. Bring it. It
1: is bean season.
2: It is bean season. It's bean... It's bean bean season.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's bean bean season for a while now.
2: Right now we're talking about beans like green beans and Romano beans and Eric Overt and right. whatever. I mean, I love all almost all long-cooked vegetables, but long-cooked Romano beans with, like, plenty of garlic. And, you know, you just, like, cover them with olive oil, put in the lowest possible simmer, put some crushed garlic cloves in, maybe a pinch of chili, plenty of salt in, like, a big Dutch oven covered and just let that, like, do its thing for, yeah. like, an hour and a half, yeah. two hours. They're so good and so soft and tender. Maybe sometimes throw in a few, like— crushed tomatoes mm. just to get a little saucy sauce. Totally. Mm.
1: I want to do that. I think that they get super saucy and kind of slurpy.
2: Oh yeah. They the like texture. R- yeah, totally. They really just give it up. So we're talking about shelling beans. Yeah. Which are kind of like coming into season now. I mean, late
1: ha- late summer. We had fall. like, you know, you
2: have like the fava, the favas of the spring. And then now we're talking about like cranberry beans. What other kind of shelling beans are you? Well, eating?
1: I guess limas, limas, it turns out.
2: Or butter beans. Let's call A- them by their, like,
1: AKA butter beans. more appealing name. I feel like borlotti, um, I guess you, cranberry beans happen somewhere. They don't really happen in the Northeast, though. Mm-hmm. I pretty much only see the cranberry beans. Yeah.
2: So, but these are beans where you're, you know, they, they're they kind of, like, you're They're in their at them, pod, but flat. their pod is
1: use, useless. Right,
2: Pod, you're not doing anything with the pod, so you're like opening them up and dropping all of those little beans into a bowl or something, yeah. and then what are you? What are you doing with them?
1: Well, so one thing about them is they do change in the early part of the season to the late, and mm-hmm. I think that in the past I've been so excited when I saw them, like the fresh, the fresh beans that I just like got them the first time I saw them, but you should actually wait, um, because you want the the outside to be, like when it's a cranberry bean, really nicely, deeply speckled mm-hmm. and kind of not green anymore and have um, deep color. But when you run your fingers over them, it should feel like the beans inside are are big and they're close together, but they're not smushing each other mm-hmm. and flattening out really each fill other's side. That's a great way of describing it. They need to fill out the pod. And, and almost the outside starts to feel a little... Dry
2: mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. not
1: like not flaky or dried out and or shrivelled right but just not so like plump and firm anymore mm-hmm. and that's when they're kind of like their best, okay um and then I just unzip them mm-hmm. and get them out of there and then generally so there's two ways I do it I do it like I do almost everything that' I cook in my house it starts with a pan of olive oil and garlic. Put those guys in, maybe a little chicken stock, salt, pepper. Just let them go until they're tender. And the great thing is because they have not been dried – uh, they cook in about twenty minutes. Amazing! Fantastic!
2: So great! So all that time that you spent shelling yeah, them, yeah, exactly. You you make up for in the quick cooking time,
1: right? And you do. It's a little bit like the fava bean experience, where you have to commit to you know two or three pounds of these things and getting them open. But that's what children are for, yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to pay them if they're related to you.
2: Yeah, it's true. That's what like children in vacation is for, where you're like, I've got nothing better to do right now than sit on a porch somewhere. And just shell all these beans and then end up with, like, a cu- like a two of handfuls beans. Yeah, of beans. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, you have to turn off the Wi-Fi first in order to convince any child that there's nothing to do. <laughs> um, so the other a- thing, though, that is great, and because these things are all kind of around at the same time, is to do, like, a mixed bean situation. Oh, so yeah. either your minestrone, where you've got, like, maybe some of Emil's wax beans and some of the fresh cranberry beans mm-hmm. and some of those um flat beans mm-hmm. and they all get together and they get some broth on them ooh yeah
2: oh i have a question for you back to the fresh those fresh shelling beans what is so after you've cooked them for 20 minutes what's the texture like and compared to like a like a cooked dried bean
1: still creamy i mean very very similar Creamy. Um, yeah, super creamy. They just have a fresher, like more vibrant flavor.
2: Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. just
1: feel like more, maybe they can be firm, creamy, whereas a dried bean, I feel like you don't, you can't mess around with any of the firm stage.
2: Yeah, you know, I, th- I feel like I've always been afraid when I'm cooking fresh beans because they, I, I feel like every time I cook them, they end up being a little, I'm afraid of overcooking them Uh huh. and they end up being just a teeny bit toothy in a way that doesn't bum me out. But I'm afraid is, like, the same as the dried bean right. slightly undercooked, which makes me gag.
1: Yeah. So, like,
2: I have to <laughs> really—this is, like, what, what like, being in a co-op in college really did to me. It's right. Like, if I am at a restaurant and eat, a, like, an al dente dried bean, I, real, I just have to spit it out. I can't—it's, <laughs> like, one of the few things that I actually just, like—it's, like, that and kidneys are the things that I just can't deal with. Now we know. Yeah, now you know.
1: Um— To me, an undercooked bean is like an instant stomach ache. Yeah. Like right away.
2: Yeah. My stomach hurt for the first three years of college.
1: (laughs) And it was from all of the al dente beans. All the al dente beans. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. what changed? Did you like take over?
2: Oh no, I stopped eating the co-op. Well, I, I got into the co-op where we could just go to like a grocery co-op and shop and then bring it home and cook it ourselves. Right. But you know, it's like trying to when somebody's cooking beans for a, like chickpeas for a hundred and they're always like, Oh well, you don't need to soak. It's fine. And you're like, these beans are a hundred years old. They are have been cooked and they're they're just still like crazy. Crunchy.
1: Right. And you're like, I might be poor, young, and stupid, but I know an undercooked garbanzo when I have one. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I love dried beans so much. Yeah. Though. So,
1: all right. So, after a cranberry bean isn't fresh anymore, it becomes a dried bean.
2: It becomes a dried bean.
1: Oh, the other ones are, do you ever see the fresh chickpeas?
2: Oh, the fresh chickpeas are so cool. So exciting. That's amazing.
1: I feel like I messed them up too, though. I think that I've bought them too young, and then they're almost impossible to get out of their
2: house. Do they need to be double shucked the way that uh, Fava does? I mean, not need is relative here. Like, you don't need to double no, shuck No, I don't favas, think so. Yeah. Well, that's they're funny because fresh chickpeas, the green chickpeas, and for anybody who hasn't seen them, they're kind of in... It's it's not like the other shelling beans. It's almost they're like rattling around yeah. in this like cute little green pod.
1: Yeah, they look like little green caterpillars.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're incredible. They're really easy to get out of their little house, like you said. Um, but I feel like their texture is much more similar to a fava or like an edamame like a fresh soybean, than they are to yeah. a cranberry bean or something like that. They're really green and have that kind of grassy, beautiful flavor. Totally
1: vegetal, right. snappy, yeah. Yeah,
2: and those are going to have, like, a they're they're not starchy at all. They're going to have a little bit more of that kind of, like, fava-y, al dente. Right. Toothiness. Hmm. That's very appealing.
1: In oh, a good, good way. In a good way. Not in the, like, terrible no. way of your youth.
2: So the cranberry beans, the fresh cranberry beans of... This season yeah. will be next season's dried cranberry beans as will the dried black beans. Or and, and that's
1: one of the great things about the dried beans is like there are so many and oh you don't God. have to be where they're grown to get them. There's no. so many cool types.
2: There's so many cool types. And we actually, we, we put together a, a bean primer. What, when was that? Was that March 2016, I think? Yeah. Where we went through all of the, all of the fancy mail order companies that yeah. sell fancy heirloom varietals of dried beans. They're not
1: even fancy.
2: They're not even fancy. It's like
1: the way linen sheets are fancy. That was just like, that was like, that's it, you know? That's how they are, Mm
2: -hmm. you know? Well, and the thing that's great about, you know, and I think this is a thing that people don't, in addition to being able to get so many different varieties of beans when you mail order from like Rancho Gordo or a company like that. But the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that beans actually, they don't go bad per se, but dried beans can be too dry flashback again Mm -hmm. to the co-op. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Buying beans in a place where there's pretty high turnover or Mm -hmm. something hasn't been Mm -hmm. sitting in the bag for two years. Right. Because they just get drier and drier and drier.
2: They get drier and drier. And if you've ever, you know, been somewhere and picked up a bag of beans from a supermarket that seems like nobody's really buying beans there and try to cook them, and six hours later they're still crunchy as hell and terrible— that's what happened. That those is were, why. Those were old beans.
1: The other thing about these fancy dried beans is like even though they're fancy or heirloom or, you know, whatever, um, they're beans. So they're not – even though you're ordering them online, they're not ever really expensive.
2: No, and it's. I think if you think about it as an ingredient, you know, if the beans are very delicious and you're preparing them in a very delicious way – then that's like it's still a huge bargain, yeah. you know, if it's like five dollars for a pound of beans or something like that.
1: And you're making an entire meal out of it. Yeah, yeah, you
2: totally. know, totally. That's is it more expensive than the dollar ninety nine that you might spend at the so when, suspicious bodega
1: when where the plastic bag is kind of like sticky,
2: weirdly sticky and <laughs> dusty at the same time, <laughs> and like
1: amber colored, but mm-hmm. it's supposed to be clear. Yeah, um, when we did the bean primer, and we worked on this a lot we really wanted to drill down on the best way, the soaking ahead of time, Mm -hmm. the fast, the power soak, Mm -hmm. or the no soak. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's kind of an argument for each, Mm -hmm. as it turns out, but where do you land on that debate?
2: I, I think that all are acceptable at the end of the day. It really depends on what you care about when it comes to the finished cooked product. If you're trying to like, if you want all of your beans to be perfectly intact, no burst skins, creamy on the insides with a with a kind of taut outer layer. Then you're going to want to soak overnight and that's going to be hands down the best way and then cook them extremely gently. Yeah. And, and that's how you're going to get beans that you could almost, that are almost have the texture of kind of canned beans. Right. You know, if you wanted to like drain them and rinse them and use those in like a bean salad. Right. That's probably what you're going to want to do. If you're just trying to cook beans and you want them to be mostly intact, but not, you know, you don't, you still want them to be kind of like brothy and maybe like get a little of that like thick richness in their broth then I think power soaking is fine, and that's what I do most of the so time. So the power
1: soak, so for those who don't know, so, is—
2: So that's just—you're going to put the beans in clean water. You're going to bring it up. You're going to bring it up to a boil.
1: Covered in a couple inches, right, of yeah, water.
2: At least, at least a couple of inches of water. Cover it. Take it off the stove and just let it sit. For me, And for me, it's like some people—you know, people give like a time. Yeah. I just do it for as long as I— yeah. As long as I have. I feel you know. like an
1: hour is good. An hour
2: is great. Even longer is a little bit better. Salt or no salt? No salt. Really? And then I drain. And mm-hmm. then you have to drain that water off. Why? Why? That water is going to have, I mean, and I don't know, this is who knows if this is real, yeah, but I was told that that's uh, where a lot of that water is where a lot of the uh,
1: where the beano comes in, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So you're kind of heading that off at the pass, and then I'm pretty sure
1: that not everyone is going to agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. I used to always do that too with that belief, and then I stopped doing it, and I think it was because of a Diana Kennedy book, and then Mm -hmm. also Rick Martinez is like, who, what idiot is going to throw away, not I'm. Definitely not calling you an idiot, Emil.
2: Rick, Andrew Martinez.
1: <laughs> but there's flavor in them water. Mm-hmm. Another thing is
2: well, but you drain your you don't cook them and if you soak them overnight, you don't. You oh throw, yeah, hell yeah, I you do. do. You save that water? Oh yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't used to
1: because mm. I thought it was wrong and I thought it, it would surely give everybody very bad gas. But then I came around and I think it was I think it was Diana Kennedy huh. and. Rick Martinez. Yeah. Because Rick also, Rick grew up in Texas. They ate a lot of black beans and a lot of pinto beans. And his thing, he wrote actually in the Bean Primer about never soaking beans. And he was like, growing up, a pot of beans takes all day to cook and everybody knows that and you just that's just if if you're if you're unprepared or you did bad planning, like that's your problem. Right. Basically. Totally. Um I, I always like a- soak beans. I also think like in the whole like sprouting and activating and I find them to be like more more palatable. They get more tender. They cook more quickly. Yeah. But I, mean, I also salt from the beginning.
2: See, I don't salt from the beginning and I mean what I normally do is When I'm cooking them, once they're, like, at least halfway to kind of 75% cooked, then I'll start adding salt. I'll add my first, like, big pinch of salt to the pot and then let them go. And then most of my – so that way, like, the the broth kind of has some salinity to it. And then at the end when they're cooked, cooked, then I'll salt that broth. Right. Such that – because if you taste the bean, it's not going to taste – Seasoned, Yeah. But the broth, you want the broth to taste good and salty. And then I like to let them – park them and let them sit for at least half an hour. Yeah. Ideally, let them just kind of cool in that cooking liquid. And then they'll take on that seasoning. And I don't know. I feel like I've read different things about seasoning beans and when you season them and whether it makes a difference. And it seems like the jury's kind of out. It seems like it doesn't really matter. I think matter. what,
1: uh, with the jury being out, it's kind of like it is not hurting them to salt right. them early. And if anything, um, and if it's not hurting them, then why wouldn't you do it? Sure. So that, I guess there's danger of over salting if the liquid right. reduces too much. Um, Jeremy Fox, uh, who is the chef at Rustic Canyon and the fa- mm-hmm. really great family of restaurants out in California, IA, mm-hmm. he taught me his bean cooking method. And exactly what you said. He was he said if the bean cooking liquid is delicious, the bean will be delicious. Mm-hmm. So he would finish it with the salt. And also lo- love to let them sit and absorb that kind of like a braise. But he also would season with like a lot of olive oil at the mm-hmm. end and a lot of um, cracked black pepper. And it was truly without having to use stock or really anything in the bean cooking liquid. Absolutely delicious. Like almost like a broth.
2: Oh, yeah. When I, Normally when I'm cooking beans, what I'll do if I'm really kind of like lazy Sunday afternoon style and I probably haven't soaked them the night before Give them a power soak. I drain. Controversial, I know.
1: Just, you know.
2: Cover them with some fresh water. Yeah. Put in like a couple of big glugs of olive oil. Like a whole, you know, a a halved head of garlic. Throw that in. Maybe an onion. Maybe a carrot. Just like whatever. Some bay leaves. A couple of chilies. And then put that, bring that up to a simmer. Yeah. Cover it. And then I'll put it right into a 300 degree oven. Or a 250 degree oven. Just because then I don't have to think about it anymore. It's and just they're happening. Getting
1: g- gentle surrounding super heat, super gentle time.
2: surrounding heat. You're not worrying about them boiling over or to, like liquid boiling off. They're just kind of hanging out there, and that's like once those come out, and then you take out those kind of spent aromatics right. and give it a good stir. All of a sudden, that broth, you know, once the kind of the oils like emulsifies yeah. in with the bean starchiness, and it's it's so good. Beans are the best. They're the best, and I really do think that that is the two things. The reason that people don't have the same conviction that we have about a pot of beans because people don't put enough salt and they mm-hmm. don't put enough fat in their beans, which and they know, don't
1: cook them enough.
2: It's that's, not to
1: go back to the co-op I thing, know, but yeah, that is a prime old trauma. Um, fat is crucial. Mm-hmm. Fat carries flavor
2: richness mm-hmm.
1: bacon fat
2: oh yeah schmaltz I mean that's why refried beans taste so good you know yeah you know one time when I was in when I was in Mexico City I went to this place called La Fonda Margarita I've sent people
1: this, to this place because of you
2: the, so we walk in and we had gotten off of a red eye and gone there directly so they had opened at like 5 30 and it was just Lauren and I and a Car full of people who had just been partying all night. Awesome. Who came in, <laughs> and we walk in and we, you know, order some. They have some kind of like stewy things with fresh tortillas, and but the beans we had heard were the incredible thing to get the the beans and eggs, mm. and it comes out looking like this tear it Almost looks like a like a French omelet, but it's black <laughs> with scrambled eggs in it, and it was so incredibly delicious, just so creamy and so rich and so well seasoned. And we look over at a picnic table next to us and there are just these two giant sheet trays which literally look like they have ground meat on them. Oh my God. But it's gray black. And we're like, what is this? And eventually like Lauren went and asked the chef, you know, what was going on with those? And she was like, so those those are our beans. And what they do is they they cook their black beans, drain them, and let them cool a little bit, and then they run them through a meat grinder. Wow. So it really does come out looking like ground meat, and then they sit and they air dry for a little bit so that you're getting some of the moisture out of them. So when they're refried, they can absorb the maximum amount of lard possible.
1: Amazing. Which is
2: what makes them so just unctuous. Adam's going to kill me for using that word. but
1: He uses that word d-
2: all the time. That guy is such he a He does hypocrite.
1: all the time. I have a dream of a dish that I've never made that I want to make. Go on. And it's going to involve all of the beans that we've discussed.
3: Mm -hmm. So I'm
1: going to have, and I don't know the best way to do it, but I want to make like a really true like minestrone of these, of beans in the height of the times, Mm -hmm. right? So it would have wax beans and green beans and some of the filet beans and those flatter Romano beans. Mm but also some fresh shelling beans and then also dried beans. So the question is, do I start by making the dried beans and use that broth as the base of the soup?
2: Yeah, see what I would do in that. And then
1: am I blanching the other the snap beans or am I going to cook them in that liquid? But I don't want them to get like brown and not so nice. If they cook, if they poach in the bean cooking liquid, will they not ever be vibrant?
2: Well, so what I would do in that case if I was – if I had cooked – start with my dried beans, cook the dried beans so they're delicious and flavorful and tender Perfect and Perfect and intact. I wouldn't use all of that bean cooking liquid for the minestrone. I feel like I would maybe – just just because the bean cooking liquid is intense and it's very rich and I feel like this, this sounds kind of like a late summer sort of yeah. soup and maybe you want some – Maybe you want some tom- crushed tomatoes yeah, in crushed there tomato. or something like that. I would actually maybe cut the, you know, use the dried beans and then use maybe like half bean cooking liquid and then half like water or light stock or something like that just so you don't have to. And you know what you could do? You could use, take some water, use that as the blanching liquid for your other beans. Oh, and then
1: use that bean cooking liquid with the other bean cooking liquid mm-hmm. to make a Being there, done that, cooking liquid. Exactly, it's going to be amazing. It's going to
2: be amazing. It's
1: it already eaten amazing. (laughs) 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 Terrible.
2: I feel like that way, if you're worried about losing any like nutrition or whatever from that, like you know, flavor, flavor, flavor and all of that. You know, and then it's and then it's um, you know can be a little bit lighter and doesn't have to be just kind of you know like chilly.
1: And then the question is with the flat flatter beans. Do I cook those al dente or just tender or do I like separately have those going all
2: the way down to Slurpee? <sighs> that's Slurpee with a Y, not double that's E.
0: <laughs> that,
2: that's the question. I don't know. I think I would maybe, I mean, what if you cooked those with the dried beans?
1: I would be afraid they'd cook at different rates. I do want well, one of yeah. these beans to be like at the point of falling apart without being mushy or or fibrous and yet also tough at the same time. But right. I also want this to have little pasta in it, Ooh. like anelli or ditalini or one of those like little shapes. I'm surprised you didn't
2: say fregola because I feel like I you were- fregola, I love fregola, but is a little starchy. I feel like you were the one who brought fregola to Bon Appetit. Is that true? I don't know. I feel like you were the first person who was like, fregola, that's great, fregola. I doubt Fantastic. it. Fantastic, fregola. <laughs> I was like, Carla, fregola. <laughs> That's all Carla eats. I do love fregola. Yeah,
1: you know what's it's good. good with fregola? Separate conversation corn. Corn and fregola Ooh. together in a bowl mm-hmm. is a very nice thing. Mm-hmm. They have a very similar shape and size. And
2: yeah, fregola is nice for kind of like a pasta salad sort of Totally.
1: Sich. What about a mixed bean salad?
2: Ooh, I love a mixed bean salad. But and would you we
1: mean- do mix a dried and a shelling and a
2: fresh. You know, I think in that situation, I would probably forego the dried only because I have a really, and maybe it's just I'm impatient, but, or just missed the mark or something. But cooking dried beans for a bean salad, I feel like might be a case of diminishing returns. You know, it's like, you're going to get some softies in there. And I, to me, the risk of having undercooked dried beans Is higher. Is higher because you're like, oh, I just want to make sure that they're like all, you know, that they hold together. I don't want to deal with any crunchy crunch. So you would do some
1: wax and.
2: I would be, you know, what what I really like doing, though, is taking green beans and actually chopping them, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of running down. So you get these kind of nice little like half inch or even smaller quarter inch lengths of them. And really getting, giving those some salt and some acid like lemon juice or vinegar and letting those marinate. And then, you know, you could have your kind of cooked fresh cranberry beans. And then I feel like that's like a really, you know, right a I feel like the cranberry
1: beans don't fall apart and they don't get as starchy when they're fresh.
2: Right, right. And if they have a little a teeny bit of tooth to them, it's, it's not quite as starchy at the core, you know. Yeah,
1: and no chickpea is still in the husk.
2: No. No No charred chickpeas in the husk just tossed in there just to just
1: to I think the thing that makes bean mixed bean salads look and feel seem so corny is when they go to that like cafeteria place. And there's kidney beans in there and just kidney not, beans. yeah. You know,
2: kidney beans need a real image makeover. <laughs> I feel like they—they're uh, easily the most depressing bean. It's that livery color. It's the livery color, and come on, like just calling them kidney beans—like can't they get like a be- like lima has butter beans? Like ten ten would choose a butter bean over a lima bean for sure. But you this know, this is like a calamari
1: bean? and squid. Mm-hmm. remarketing of the kidney bean.
2: Okay. okay. What, what are we going to call a kidney bean from now on? First
1: thing that came to mind was oxblood bean, but that's oh, not good. But it's just the color.
2: Ox, ox, if you're like trying to sell them through like Rancho Gordo or like a fancy, you know, I'd yeah. be like, ooh, oxblood bean. <laughs> right. But I feel like kidney, because also there's a difference between the large kidney beans and the small kidney beans. Like, the Is s- there? I, well, I mean- to me, like, it just feels like there's a difference. Like, the small kidneys feel appealing and interesting, and the large kidneys are just like, what is this giant chili no,
1: bean? No, a, lar- a kidney bean is like the prune juice of the uh, leg- legume world.
2: Oh, yeah. Which it's prunes, just, you know, prunes are good. I but- know,
1: but they had a makeover, too. Dried, dried plums.
2: plums.
1: <laughs> what about, like, burnt sienna bean?
2: Burnt <laughs> don't put the word burnt in there, Carla. I know, but
1: that's a color of a crayon. You don't know about burnt sienna? Sure, but what okay. about sienna bean? I love it.
2: That's Ship it. Sold. Sienna bean.
1: I'm making sienna bean minestrone. Kidney it's bean. It's sienna-strone.
2: Yeah, that's, we're going to go from Patagonian toothfish to Chilean sea bass and <laughs> right here, right now.
1: I really hope that... Whoever decides these things lets us do another podcast together.
2: Yeah, me too. We should we should splinter off and start our own bean-only yeah. podcast.
1: Uh-huh. And even if they don't let us do another podcast together, we'll always have had this.
2: We'll always have been here.
1: <laughs> is this our real job? This is our real job. Yeah, <laughs> cool. People pay us to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Signing off. They might not after
3: this. Hi, is this Leslie Ann? Hi, it is. Hi, Hi this is Carla from Bon Appetit. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk to you
1: today. Same, same. Um, Tell me what you're trying to figure out. What's your question?
3: Well, it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time, and then you guys' podcast sort of made me formulate it into a question kind of related to what you do. And um, I think the dilemma I have is fairly common among sort of foodie-leaning moms out there, especially moms with younger kids. Um, And that problem is my kids, which they're very close in age. They're one and almost three. Um, As well as my husband, who before um, we got together, I don't think did a whole lot of fresh cooking. Um, He was sort of the, you know, ramen out of the bowl kind of guy, you know, from the package. And um, so the problem is that they just don't give vegetables a chance in dishes and especially traditional ones. And, um, you know, for example, like no one wants tomato on their burger. Like, let's not do that. Or if there's spinach in a sauce, you need to blend it all the way in. So I can't see it kind of thing. And so, you know, my question is really, how can I make, you know, I wanted, wanted to ask you guys, like, how can I make traditional and even some new fun stuff with fresh, fresh vegetables in a way that will get them excited and also will make them not realize that they're necessarily there. And I think it's a technique question because it really is like, how do you incorporate that into a dish in a way that makes it feel like the vegetable is such a part of it that you couldn't have it without it. Totally. And also, you know, yeah, in fun new ways where even, you know, my kids were super young, could get into it, maybe even help make it because I'm really sick of this kind of mush it in culture mm-hmm. we have going in my house, which is you know, put it in a smoothie and maybe I'll drink it, but otherwise, you know, I want to see it disappear. So I want to get them excited about vegetables that haven't disappeared into things, so to speak.
1: I'm really glad you said that because I also, um, just don't believe in the like hidden vegetable kind of idea because then you're not really teaching someone to love this food right you're teaching exactly you're kind of reinforcing their desire to avoid it and and then making Mm -hmm. and like enabling that even more um and I also I totally feel your pain um I so I have two kids that they're seven and 13 two boys my firstborn son would eat literally anything my younger son was super picky from the beginning, what is my thing? I don't say picky. I say selective. He has like, <laughs> he just likes what he likes, you know? And so um, I did struggle with the same exact thing. And even with kids, so you've got kids who are one in three. So f- probably for the little guy, um, you know, it. It's weird how sometimes it's not about flavor at all for them. It's the texture could be the turnoff.
3: Oh yes. um, yeah.
1: absolutely. And, or they might like something. I mean, I can remember with Cosmo when he was little. It you know we would just discover oh he likes he likes string beans, and then I would give him a bunch of string beans, and then a week later he'd be like oh I don't I don't like those anymore.
3: And it's like, what, yeah. we just, we just got this good thing going. Yeah. They go through, they go through these phases and you get hopeful and excited. Like, oh, you love Brussels sprouts for one week and then you, you know, make Brussels sprouts into everything that right. week. And then suddenly that's gone and you're back to square one. So yeah, exactly. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and one of my kids is kind of very similar to your situation. Um, one, my, actually my daughter, she's the youngest. She's actually really open to a lot of things, weirdly, Um, where my son is kind of getting to this more sort of closed off space where it's not you know, chicken fingers and yeah. fry, then he's very skeptical. And so it's a, it's a very, it's a brick wall. I feel like I'm sort of moving against right now, which is why, so I one, was, you know, a good question.
1: One thing that helped me was um, I read reading an article that explained kind of the evolutionary reason why kids do this. And so it's not weird at all that the younger one is more interested um, because it kind of lines up with this theory about when, when children would become independently mobile. So when kids are are littler, you know, from like zero to two, and you are in control of everything that they eat, and they really can't go out and hunt and gather on their own, they will try everything because they have no reason not to trust that it's coming from a safe source because it's coming, mm-hmm. you know, from your hand. Um, and then when they're big enough to kind of wander off on their own, that's when a child who... Um, you know, needs to know the difference between a safe food and a not safe food. So just imagine you're, you know, you're in caveman land and like the, the child goes off and eats a poisonous berry because they're curious about this new food. That's like evolutionarily speaking, like a, a bad idea. So, Mm -hmm. a key thing is to like give as many different kinds of foods to your child until they hit that magical age of like two and a half or three where they're kind of pre-programmed to if they haven't had it before they're just exactly what you said like super skeptical not interested they want to stick with the foods that they already know so Mm -hmm. um, I felt better once I knew that like actually it was a a life-saving technique.
3: So, you know, I completely 100% agree, and there aren't really any answers. Mm -hmm. Everyone sort of says, like, oh, well, that's just, you know, the phase. And I'm kind of like you. I refuse to believe that. Like, I want to believe that I can get them to a point now where it's not about hiding the vegetables, but about, okay, let's cook something where this belongs and, you know, get excited about it.
1: I'm with you 100%. So, I think that the answer to this in in the simplest terms is that it's about exposure and it's about like repeating that exposure over time because they might refuse a food 20, 30, 40 times and on the 41st time like go for it and discover that they like it. So an ex- example of my younger son Cosmo ate eggs then one day was like, "Oh, I don't care for eggs." Didn't eat eggs, like scrambled eggs, any kind of egg. Would not touch an egg for, I mean, two or three years. And it's not that we don't eat eggs and we would always offer him the eggs. And he was always like, don't you know, I don't like eggs and... It's very frustrating. You're like, but have you ever had it like this? You've never had a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. You've never had a frittata. You've never... And he's like, is it egg? I don't like it. So then one day we're at my parents' house and my mom, not knowing this whole history, is like, oh, I'm making scrambled eggs. Would you like scrambled eggs for breakfast? And he's like, sure. And I was like, what? (laughs) So I just didn't say anything. (laughs) And I know that my mom makes really good scrambled eggs. So she gave him this plate of scrambled eggs. He ate the entire thing. And then ever since then he 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 loves scrambled eggs. And so it's like, you know, if it wasn't for that one other time that we offered it, we would have kept going in this. I don't eat eggs thing for, you know, God knows who long, how long. The other t- thing with the picky husband, my husband is r- a really good eater now, but same when we met, he was a kid who ate a ham and cheese sandwich every single day for lunch for like six years or something insane when oh, he was yeah. a kid.
3: A, I mean, they're creatures of ha- yeah was saying, I mean, he took a peanut butter sandwich to, you know, work at one of his jobs in his 20s every day, like right. Monday through Friday and didn't care. I mean, that was, you know, and, and I think the kids kind of pick up on some mm-hmm. of that Like when he sort of reverts into those habits. Yeah, you just
1: keep offering and keep running a household where you have these kinds of foods around. It's really important for the parents to eat them in front of their kids, even if the kids aren't making them. And it's also so much of this is just about kids wanting to control their own bodies and their lives, even as, you know, one and two year old and three year olds. So not making it a big deal is like a big thing. Cause if you make it a big deal and then it's a standoff and then it's like they're, you know, you're just kind of encouraging them to draw a line in the sand. So um, one of our babysitters, actually, this was, this is genius and we still use this to this day. She came up with this, no, thank you, please bite, which is, just a very simple agreement of like taking a bite and if you don't like it, you can say no, thank you. And that's it. So it's the, you know, that sort of like, "Mm, I don't think I want it. I don't like it. I'm not going to try it. It's like, you know, just try a No, thank you, please bite and see how it goes. Um, but I, and you know, sometimes it's like, Oh, actually I do like it. So I do have a few, I do have a few specific ideas. Um, to get into. And some of them, you mentioned cooking a lot. I think also something to think about is finding ways to work them in their raw state um, because the texture of raw vegetables is, you know, crunchy. They're sturdy so that you can pick them up and dip them. They're kind of finger food friendly. So those things tend to be really appealing for kids. So that's something that like, it doesn't have to be a salad to be a raw vegetable and then i also wanted to ask like where where is everybody on the the bean and legume kind of spectrum? like uh,
3: Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And we're, you know, we're in Texas. And so like, ta- we're, you know, we're near Austin. So it's like breakfast tacos, everything's a mm. taco, everything's Mexican food. Um, yeah, which I love. And it's, um, that's a, actually a great question. Because my husband recently realized how amazing beans are. So that was like a battle that we, that we won um, in the house. And it's, so he's on board and we actually want to do a lot of, um, bean, lentil and base dishes. We're, we're trying to cut down on meat a little bit and, mm-hmm. and lean more, you know, to that end. Um, and so we need to get the kids on board with that in order to make that happen. Like we're, we're sort of working the bean angle and the tofu angle. Oh, are the okay. Ones.
1: Um, but the other great thing about beans like chickpeas or black beans, pinto beans, like all of those that kind of size, even black eyed peas. um, they're they're like fun at that age when they're kind of figuring out how to pick stuff up. Um that's a really fun finger food size for kids that can be you know just makes it a little bit more enjoyable for them. Trying to get them onto a spoon and they're going to roll off, but unless you have strict rules about no fingers at the table, um that could be a thing that they're kind of like picking up Cheerios. They might just kind of get into it and feel like they're in control. So, and they're so, they're so healthy. I mean, even string beans, which are coming into season up here now, um, you know, quick, like not cooked to death, but cooked enough to be tender with just a little butter and a little salt. And you can cut them crosswise and the, into little pieces to pick up. Another thing about, um, Beans, cucumbers, carrots. So even if the if 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 they're not, um, you know, you, you're supposed to avoid all those hard, crunchy vegetables when they're still um, in that sort of younger, chokeable kind of age. But you could steam carrot sticks until they're tender, but not falling apart, and that also can be something that they can pick up and then do a dip. I found that dips were like one of my most successful secret weapons? Um, even just a simple, do they like dairy? Would they ha- Would they eat a yogurt dip or
3: something like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yogurt is like, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of parents say the same thing. Yogurt is like the universal, right. I mean, you know, that seems to be something that they always will sort of, you know, give a try. And oftentimes when we have a meal that's my son is sort of rejected because it's a little too complicated. People demand yogurt after the meal. And so I actually never really thought about that as like maybe a more savory yogurt dip. Exactly.
1: Like plain yogurt, a little lemon juice, you know, a little salt. If you're, if you're into that and then they can pick up and dip into the stuff into that. And then um, along the way, they're going to even, <laughs> I remember doing this in my younger son, he just figured out how to lick the yogurt off. So he just was using
3: it as like <laughs> yeah, classic, but the along
1: the way, he's, it's like, they're going to yeah. take a bite of that vegetable.
3: Yeah. At some point that essence is going to make it into their
1: bodies. Of course, anything fried. So that got me thinking about, um, doing fritters that can be really vegetable based, but still have all the texture uh, yeah. and appeal of a, of a fried food. So zucchini, you know, zucchini fritter, corn fritter, um, zucchini, you could also combine with potato, you know, so it's like half zucchini, half potato, like yeah, a, little, a little
3: bit of what they're used to and incorporate something out. Yeah. That's yeah. A, that's really along the lines of, I'm trying, you know, what I'm trying to move into. That's an excellent idea. Um, You know, you're still frying, you're giving in a little bit, but you're working in a vegetable that maybe they've never given a chance before. And
1: you know what? If it takes like two tablespoons of ketchup on the plate also to like make that fun or make that something that that they appeals to them and gives them a reason to try it, then like by all means, I mean, that was my whole thing always was like the 80-20. It was like, I don't care if he's dipping this in mayonnaise or dipping it in in ketchup because the win of eating the fritter Is like the win. So if it takes a little bit of ketchup to get you there, that's great that you're not there. That's way better than hiding something in a brownie, you know?
3: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Those brownies with like spinach (laughs) in them.
1: Um, another recipe that's going to be in our October issue that I thought about right away because Chris Morocco in our kitchen who has two sons who he is constantly complaining about, like, not only do they have the food preferences and dislikes, but they, he has one of those kids who like things aren't allowed to touch on the plate. Mm. So it drives him insane. Obviously he's a food editor. He eats everything. So um, he came up with this dish that's basically a baked pasta with like a really yummy, creamy tomato sauce. And it has cauliflower in with the pasta. So it's like there's cooked, oh, wow. cooked cauliflower. I think he steams it or maybe it gets blanched in the pasta water. So it's just t- tender because you just roast it from raw. It can kind of just get dry and chewy. So it's very tender cauliflower, pasta cheese, tomato sauce, and it gets baked. And again, like it's not that the the cauliflower has been pureed and hidden. There are pieces of it, but they're kind of the same size as the penne or the rigatoni or whatever you use. And they're just, mm-hmm. you know, if they like the flavor of that sauce and they see the pasta and it's a little bit cheesy, then, you know, if some cauliflower gets on the fork at the same time, they're probably, they're not going to really think about it. So that, that'll be in October, which comes out middle of September. But honestly, you could take any kind of baked pasta recipe that you use or like and add, um, you know, two cupfuls of, of steamed or blanched cauliflower and, you have the advantage of it like kind of being color camouflaged, but not fully pureed. I mean, it's hard to make a bad baked pasta Exactly. Experiment. Also braises and, and stews and things. So another um, great way to just have a very healthy vegetal base is to make a sofrito, which, you know, depending on whether you're doing a Spanish one or a or a French one or a Mexican one, but generally um, the way that I make them is equal parts of onion and carrot and then a little bit of garlic. I chop the vegetables in the food processor until they're like finely chopped and then combine everything and saute it like really low and slow in a good amount of olive oil in a big Dutch oven. And it's just as easy to make a bag's worth of carrots as it is to make, you know, just two carrots and half an onion. And when you, when you do it, you cook them down the vegetables are cooked down until they're very, very tender, like almost just sort of dissolving into the bottom of the pan. And then, um, you can freeze that in maybe, you know, half cup or a quarter cup increments, um, but when you use a sofrito as the base of a pasta sauce or a soup or, or any kind of like braise, there's a, it's a lot of vegetable that cooks down into a very small mm-hmm. amount. And it's just a way to add like a ton of veg to, to a soup. And that would be a really good base to a lentil soup or to um, just some really simple pot of beans. Um, I also I've talked about this before, but if your kids eat pancakes – um, you can start, oh, yeah, always. yeah, you can start adding, um, rolled oats to the, the base and I've tried it both adding it to the dry ingredients, you know, the flour or whatever. And also if I'm doing a buttermilk pancake, sometimes I put the oats into the buttermilk. It works either way. Um, okay. they, they, That's you won't great. even notice that they're there. So at this point, every pancake that I make for Cosmo usually has rolled oats, some ground flaxseed, um, chia seeds, uh, hemp, even hemp hearts are great. And they're very like mild flavored. And so even though that's another one of those things where I'm like, yeah, there's going to be an amount of maple syrup that happens here, but he's also getting f- like whole grains.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at, at that point, the syrup on top is in consequence,
1: yeah, or, I just don't, you know, I and, don't put as much sugar in the pancake and that way I don't like,
3: I'm not trying to, you know, wrestle the... Kind of a lot for, yeah, and it... Sort of goes with what you were saying at the beginning too, is not, and, and which is where my question came from, is not giving into this hiding it culture, but just, you know, in that sense, a pancake becomes something that has healthy components to it and something that they're used to and, um, you know, they're not scared of it. It's just, this is like, this is a version of a pancake we do that's delicious. Totally. And it just happens to have this other stuff in it. So um, yeah, I had never thought about that. That's
1: <laughs> that's a really good idea for oh, the Awesome. Pancake. Um, And then last one is just um, avocados. So guacamole, which is, you know, avocados have like all of these amazing health benefits. They have the good fats. They're high in fiber. They keep you full because of the fat content. They're a fruit. (laughs) Um, And then they have the advantage of like being served with chips. So you're in Austin and you t- already talked about Tex-Mex, like will they touch avocado?
3: Oh yeah. That's been one of, <laughs> it's always a go-to, especially for my daughter. I mean, I think something about that, you know, she's, still a baby in many ways something about it the texture babies love yeah Um, my son is moving a little bit away from it but he'll still eat it Um, but oh yeah we try things on I mean something on chips is a good way to go at you know um, trying something new so yeah avocado and guacamole tends to be something we can always rely on um, you know pretty well especially if we go out to eat it's a good standby. yeah
1: that's cool Um, and you could always try experimenting with like an avocado hummus or doing a bean dip and telling them that it's, you know, a different kind of guacamole. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, that's, no, that's (laughs) really like I've done, I'm like, it's white guacamole. Yeah,
3: no, I, we had this, we had this, um, a conversation just the other day at the table and my husband and I e- each asked my son to eat something and he said no to my husband and I phrased it differently. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I called it something different and yeah. he ate it. So yeah. I think that, you know, as parents, it's important to just like stop for a second and, and almost think about the linguistics of how we're, you know, talking about the food and sort of how we're painting the picture for them. And it's like the condiments. I mean, who cares if they want to call something a silly name or something right. funny if they're eating it and they try it? Um, I think that's the win. You know, so who cares if they. Yeah.
1: You know, when they when when in the different. darkest <laughs> in the darkest days of the uh food refusal phase of my younger son's life we were putting greens powder like uh you know just one of those powdered greens into smoothies and because he really wouldn't he just really wasn't interested in vegetables at that time and we called it a dragon smoothie which is and it was green and he was (laughs) like super super into it um so yeah, I hope, you know, those basic things like if you guys are eating it, just don't give up on it. Have that food around. No thank you please bite. Um That's a great one. The yeah. fritters, I feel like will be really good. The baked pasta pancakes. Yeah, I hope I hope that this gives you some good stuff to to experiment with.
3: Oh, it's wonderful. I Thank you so much. Like I said, it's, you know, a lot, you know, as a mom, it's it questions that sort of bounce around in your head around things like food and, and you talk about the question, but you don't often sit down in conversation and talk about the answer. Right. And so, um, you know, I just, you, you know, the podcast got me thinking about it in those terms. So this has been incredibly helpful. Thank awesome. you so much.
1: Yeah. Let us know how it goes. Tag us on Instagram or whatever. We'd love to see what, what's a hit.
3: Oh, absolutely. I definitely will do that for sure. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wartzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Gradies, with additional music by Nathaniel Wartzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at com. Thanks for listening.